What's up, everybody? My name is Tony Hope, and you're listening to the Hear Me Roar podcast, a sports show where I run my mouth about all things sports. And today, I'm back at Georgia State University in room N278, and I'm bringing y'all another iteration of the Hear Me Roar podcast. Hope everybody's having a great day today. Hope everybody's week has gone good so far. It is a wonderful, beautiful Tuesday morning, February 28th, 2023. And once again, I am happy to be giving y'all another episode. I'm happy to be back in the booth recording another episode for y'all, talking about sports as per usual. Today is going to be a lot of basketball plus UFC talk. We're going to talk about the Atlanta Hawks hiring Quinn Snyder, the scoring insanity that has been going on in the league lately. And at the end, I'm going to touch on John Jones versus Cyril Gunn, one of the more anticipated fights of the new year, of the new UFC calendar, and something I am thoroughly excited for. But without any further ado, I'm ready to get right into this because I'm kind of hungry and I'm ready to get something to eat. Quinn Snyder, former coach of the Utah Jazz, is the newest head coach of my Atlanta Hawks. He signed a five-year contract on Sunday, and he is available to coach as soon as tonight's game against the Washington Wizards. This comes after Nate McMillan's dismissal during the All-Star break last Tuesday. I hope y'all could hear the emphasis on the air quotes around dismissal because that's what the Atlanta Hawks Twitter put out when he was fired because let's just be real, they fired him, not dismissed, um, last Tuesday. I just I always find corporate talk uh, very funny. Like, what do you mean dismissed? You fired him. They tried to do that to me once too about some – Comp- like uh, my, one of my old jobs talking about some company restructuring. You're not restructuring nothing. You just didn't want me there, which is cool. Don't say you dismissed Nate McMillan. Just be straight up. You fired him. And it's ironic because Nate McMillan became head coach of the Hawks around the same time in 2021. Um, he took over for Lloyd Pierce more than halfway through the season. And during that same year in the offseason, or not in the offseason, during that same season, in the playoffs, he led the Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals, exceeding expectations immensely, but he failed to capture similar success with the team in following years. Last year, we were the ninth seed and had to play to win two play-in games to match up against the number one seeded Heat. Then we proceeded to get cooked in five games. Um, in the offseason, we traded for DeJounte Murray. Um, you know, We spent a lot of draft capital to get him. We lost pieces like Kevin Horter and DeLon Wright. But the Hawks were expected to be a much better team than previous. Than previously, excuse me. Fast forward to the present day, or I guess at the time of his firing last Tuesday. The Hawks were two were 29 and 30 when Nate's firing was announced. And he was 99 and 80 as a Hawks head coach with an 11 and 12 record in the playoffs. So this is a this is a good move. I like it. Nate McMillan, he was a polarizing figure in Atlanta. A lot of people wanted him gone. I wasn't on. I wasn't as vocal about it as other fans were and other uh, Atlanta Hawks analysts were. But I did think that a coaching change needed to be done because the way Nate McMillan coached was not going to be sustainable for long-term success. Like it wasn't it, it wasn't when we made it to the Eastern Conference Finals that year, I'm not going to call it a fluke, but a lot of stuff like that was just 
we just had so much momentum. The whole team, we were just playing just to play at that point. We were playing with house money. So when we, at that point, the coaching really didn't matter because the players were so invested in each other and invested in just going out and playing their hardest each night because there was no expectations of the Hawks making it to the Easter Conference Finals. In the year following, when we pretty much said, let's run it back, we didn't make any roster changes, nothing significant, rather. And Trey Young, that was when Trey Young famously said that playing in a regular season was just boring compared to the playoffs, which I understand, but you can't say that as a franchise star because we had to we we, we made the play-in. We didn't even make the playoffs straight up. We were the ninth seed. We had to fight for our lives to get into the playoffs. So at that point, there was expectations of the Hawks to make the playoffs. It was expectations for the Hawks to make the next step. It was expectations for us to uh, um, go on in a deep fi- uh, playoff run again. And when that didn't happen, that's when the flaws in Nate McMillan's coaching style started to show. But uh, after he was fired, Joe Prunty, the assistant coach of the Hawks, he was named interim head coach until Snyder and the Hawks agreed to a deal. And it was like a switch flip for the Hawks. Like I said, it reminds me of when Nate McMillan became head coach after Lloyd Pierce was fired in 2021. So I guess that means a deep playoff run is in the fold for us this year? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I don't know. Look, I just saying we're 2-0 after Nate's dismissal, quote-unquote dismissal, and both wins were in great fashion. We beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, a championship contending team, 136-119. to Then we beat the Nets off of a Trey Young walk-off game winner. Those were the two games we won while Joe Prunty was – Interim head coach against two teams that are seated higher than us and against two teams that arguably are maybe not the Nets, but definitely against the Cavaliers who are a top-ranked defense, and we blew them out the water. So I don't know why or I don't know what's the reason why the Hawks want to play hard every time the head coach is fired midway through the season, but... If that means we're going to make another deep finals run, another push to the Eastern Conference Finals and possibly the finals, I'm cool with it. Three-pointers were falling for us. Trey Young looked like the all-NBA caliber player that we came to expect out of him. The Saudi Bay trade has looked like a good move so far. So, look, you know, now I, I you know, Joe Prunty, I don't, I'm not sure if he's going to remain on the Hawks staff. I have no clue if Quinn Snyder is going to be bringing in his own team or if there's still going to be pieces from the Nate McMillan era that will remain. I'm not sure. But I will say that Joe Prunty has a 2-0 record as head coach. Um, Quinn Snyder, he was the leading candidate to uh, to land the head coaching job from when the news broke. Kenny Atkinson, former head coach of the Brooklyn Nets and current assistant coach for the Warriors, and Charles Lee, the assistant coach for Milwaukee, were also a part of the coach search. And there were rumors that Ime Udoka was uh, a candidate for the job as well. But I am very glad that we didn't seriously consider him for the position. And it's not because I think he's a bad coach. It's not because I don't think he could elevate this Hawks team. 
I just don't want to deal with any drama for the rest of this year. If email whatever team email Udoka goes to, regardless of when, it's going to be a media circus just because of the controversy that led to him even being available for a job. So the the when he violated multiple team rules and 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 policies as head coach of the Boston Celtics, suspended for the whole year, and then when Joe Mazzulla got the was promoted from interim to full-time head coach. Email Duck is out of a job. So I'm not, I'm very glad we didn't get him. And like I said, it's not because I don't think he's a good coach. It's not because I don't think he should have a coaching job in a league. That's not what I'm saying. I just don't want him on my team, who are currently the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, fighting to get into the playoffs. And we already have a very, you know, I'm not going to say the media presence is already heavy around our team because of Trey Young, DeJounte Murray. I don't want to add any extra drama to this locker room. I don't want to add any extra uh, possible bumps to the team's chemistry. I don't want any of that. So I'm glad Emil Ducker didn't get it. I would have been more inclined to say I would what I'm trying to say here. If we were going to look for a head coach in the offseason, that's different. We have time for that whole media circus to come into town and then leave. But not midway through the season. Not when we're currently fighting for a playoff spot. I don't want anything that can possibly ruin that chance. Quinn Snyder is a much better candidate with the, you know, more experience under his belt. He already has history with the Hawks. He was the lead assistant for Mike Budenholzer when he was head coach for the Hawks during the 2013-2014 season. This is a much better hire than anyone else we could have gotten. Quinn Snyder, who resigned from his uh, job as Jazz as his Jazz's head coach in 2020 or 2020, no, 2021 after he was bounced in the first round against the Mavericks, he resigned. Um, this is his first head coaching job since. And this is a solid hiring that I'm excited for. Um, the Hawks brought him on board midseason rather than waiting until the offseason. Because in my eyes, the front office is looking to make a strong push into the playoff picture. And I say playoff picture because while we're currently seated eighth, we all know that the play-in game was implemented about two seasons ago. So the the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th seed are going to be in a tournament to decide who gets the final two seeds in the playoffs. It's a very important concept. We were in it last year. We were the ninth seed, which, mean we had to, which meant we had to win two games to get into the playoffs. It's something that is just I already don't like being in that position. It's cool to watch from an outside perspective, but when your team is in the playing game, and they have to fight to literally be considered for the playoffs, even though technically we could have made the playoffs in previous years. Just to be in that situation is not comfortable. I don't like it. Last year we had to beat the Hornets and the Cavs to even become the eighth seed. You have, we have to win two games just to match up against the number one seed, where we subsequently lost in five games in embarrassing fashion. But... 
The front office wants to make a strong push into the playoff picture. So that's at least the fourth, fifth, or sixth seed. This is why they didn't wait to hire Quinn Snyder in the offseason, and we didn't just let Joe Prunty stay the interim head coach. And they signed him to five years. They signed Quinn Snyder to five years. So this long-term deal shows that they're looking for stability at the head coaching position after cycling through two coaches in the last four years. Lloyd Pierce was here for two seasons. Nate McMillan was here for, yeah, pretty much two seasons as well. I guess two complete seasons because the end of 2021 and I guess the first half of the 2022-2023 season plus all of the 2022 season. So we we need a head coach that is here for the long term, especially with the superstar player and Trey Young. We can't just keep going through these coaches. Get him some stability. Get him a, a head coach that has established which Quinn Snyder is. He's also, you know, he's a successful head coach. He has a 372 to 264 record in the regular season as head coach of the Jazz, and he made the playoffs in each of his last six seasons as head coach. And statistically, he's the second most winningest coach in Jazz history behind the legendary Jerry Sloan, who has like a 1,000 wins. Nobody's going to surpass that in Jazz franchise. No head coach is going to be able to surpass that for a while, for the Jazz at least. Um, he never made it past the second round, but was always considered a dark horse contender in the Western Conference with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as his two stars. He secured the number one seed in 2020-2021, going 52-20. and 20. So he is an established head coach. He has a very, very, very great record. He built... Uh, you know, a very, I guess he turned the Jazz's franchise around with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. He was there for about eight years. Donovan Mitchell made multiple all-star teams. I believe he had an all-NBA selection as well while he was head coach of the Jazz. Um, after the win against the Cavs last Friday, Donovan Mitchell, who played for Quinn Snyder, like I said, for six of his, uh, or, I'm sorry, for the first five seasons of his career, he was said to have profusely praised Quinn Snyder during a conversation with Trey Young, which is great to hear. I'm very glad that D. Mitch vouches for Quinn Snyder because we see how uh, how great of a player Donovan Mitchell is. He said that Quinn Snyder is was a very crucial part of his career development. Um, Quinn, uh, if we're being real, Quinn Snyder was there during Donovan Mitchell's ascendance as a superstar. Like they're both like they they coincided with each other. That's not a coincidence. So with about 21 games left in the season, Snyder will get a good look at the player personnel of the Hawks heading into the playoffs and the offseason. So I this is something I was thinking about too last night uh, while I was, you know, coming up with my notes for this show. I hope the Hawks understand that Quinn Snyder wasn't just brought on board mid-season. Just because we needed a head coach, that's not the case. Because there have been multiple times where interim head coaches finish out, uh, they finish out um, the season if head coaches were fired. Okay. I hope the Hawks personnel, all the players from Trey Young to Aaron Holiday on the bench, hope everybody knows that changes are coming this off season. We have yet to reach the same peak that we have that we had when we 
made it to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2021. We have yet to reach any success similar to that. In fact, since then, we have been average to below average at best. I really, really hope that everybody on that team knows that changes are coming and that they better be ready. They better be playing the rest of this year. They better go into the playoffs with the mindset that my job or my future with this franchise may be in jeopardy. If I do not show my worth, if I do not show that I am worthy of being a part of this team. Because mind you, Quinn Snyder has not been on this Hawks team since 2013-2014. There's not a single player on this team, minus the minus Kyle Korver, who is now the assistant general manager of the Hawks. He played for uh, Mike Budenholzer and Quinn Snyder in 2013-2014. But other than him, there's not a single active member of the roster who was present on this team during that season. Quinn Snyder is not familiar with any of these guys, not from a personal standpoint. And if the Hawks front office gives Quinn Snyder the green light, which I assume they will because of what he's done as head coach as the, of the Utah Jazz already, if the Hawks front office gives Quinn Snyder the green light on trades or on who he wants to be a part of this team, a lot of changes may be coming this offseason. They already were going to come because we haven't reached the expectations that the fans have, that media has, and that the front office has for this team. So I hope every player on this team knows that somebody is going to be moved this offseason. Don't let it be you. That's just the best mindset to, to, to finish this season off with. Because I, he's here for the long haul, from the looks of it, five-year contract. He has a superstar player in Trey Young. He has a star. He has a co-star in the Dejounte Murray. Everybody else is subject to be moved, in my opinion. So I, 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 I was just thinking about that last night. I just hope that these, that 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 these players on my team understand to not be complacent with what, with where they are. With their role on this team, don't get complacent with the 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 way things are ran because a lot of changes are coming for the Atlanta Hawks. I'm telling you. But I'm like I said, I'm very excited for the Quinn Snyder hiring because one of the biggest gripes with the Hawks that I had with the Hawks was the lack of plays Nate McMillan ran. It very it was very annoying watching the Hawks play, especially a, a lot. For last year and especially this year because it it just kind of, I was getting fed up because we added a definitive number two player in DeJounte Murray, yet we're still running the same plays that we did when Trey Young was the only bona fide star here. We run a lot of pick and roll, but not actual sets that get the entire team involved. Basketball is a team game. Everybody should be touching the ball. Everybody should be moving. Everybody should be in some sort of action on the court. With Nate McMillan, it was very 
ISO heavy with Trey and DeJounte Murray. And that will only get you so far as a unit. It would be Trey Young has the ball at the top of the key, takes the ball down the court. It's 24 seconds on the shot clock. So if he takes the time taking the ball down the court, you're already left with about 16 to 18 seconds left in the on the um, shot clock. ISO drives or, and kicks out, drives and attempts to draw a foul or an alley-oop off of pick and roll. Everybody else just kind of stands around. That's one thing I noticed. When if a player was not involved in the action of whatever the, the play was, they will kind of drift off into the corner and just stand there. It happens all the time with John Collins. It happens all the time with DeJounte Murray didn't have the ball in his hands. And vice versa if Trey Young didn't have the ball in his hands. It was frustrating to watch as a basketball fan, not as a Hawks fan, not just as a Hawks fan, but as a basketball fan. I look at these teams like the Warriors. I look at these teams like the Celtics and the Nuggets. These folks run legitimate sets. Yes, the 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 play style of the NBA has changed. It's very offense-heavy. So many scorers in the league now. Everybody can average 20 a game. We see that. But that does not, all of that is not accomplished through ISO. This is not just accomplished through giving up, getting the ball into your best player's hands and just letting him do whatever. They've run plays. When Nikola Jokic, the way he averages a triple-double and the way he is a seven-footer putting up double-digit assists, they don't just give him the ball and just let whatever happen. They run legitimate plays, legitimate sets for him. We see these uh, crazy passes because Mike Malone couples Nikola Jokic's amazing vision and timing as a passer and playmaker with plays that get other players open. You watch the Nuggets game, and you'll be surprised that eight out of Nikola Jokic's 12 assists will come off of just the most Schemed open plays, backdoor cuts, drops into the paint. It's super easy. Alley-oops. Like, did they do the same? Like, it, it's you have to you have to use real plays if you want to make it far in this league. You have to. The Warriors are, I always use the Warriors as, as an example because during their dynasty run last year, in 2015 when they won, in 2017, 2018 when they won, even the years when they didn't win but they made the finals in 2016, 2019. Steve Kerr always had plays ran. Then the offense ran those plays to perfection. Why did we always, like, Stephen Curry is always known for his off-ball movement because he's always moving. Klay Thompson as well. And Draymond would be commanding the offense. We have, the Hawks have those playmakers. We have Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, two players who are averaging upwards of 10 assists a game. So it's not that we don't have playmakers. It's that we're not, you're not running plays. <laughs> you, you, you know, we can only get so far by using pick and roll, and we can only get so far by getting assists on fast breaks. We have, we have scorers. And Trey and DeJounte and DeAndre Hunter can get a bucket. John Collins is, is 
proficient around the mid, the low post and mid-range area. Bodon Bodanovich can shoot it. A.J. Griffin can shoot it. Sadiq Bey, our newest pickup, can shoot it. Clint Capella, great, uh, great in the pick and roll. So if we ran more plays with this unit, which I expect Quinn Snyder to do because you don't become the second wingest coach in Jazz franchise history by not coaching your guys hard and developing plays that maximizes their strengths. You don't just get you don't you don't get into that position by just having your players do whatever. Especially with the team that he inherited. And it like when the, when when he became head coach of the Jazz, the Jazz weren't in the playoffs. They were trash. Okay? But he became a well-regarded head coach, coach of the year uh, finalist because of what I just talked about. He got his team involved when he had the likes of uh, uh, Bohan Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley, Gordon Hayward. He used the he got the most out of all of those players. Of course, when he had Rudy Gobert, a lot of stuff got exposed in the playoffs, but that's just a part of him being the number two guy on that team or the second star on that team. This is a different situation. The Hawks are way more perimeter, or you were, were more versatile than that when than the Jazz teams that were consistently making the playoffs, in my eyes. So my expectations for Quinn Snyder and the Hawks for the rest of this year, I say shoot for the sixth seed. Earn a playoff spot, not play for one in the playing game. Let me say that again. Earn a playoff spot, not play for one by being in a play-in tournament. We don't want to be in the seventh and eighth seed because we still got to win a game to get into the playoffs. We don't want to be in those seeds. Shoot for the sixth seed. Shoot for the fifth seed. Those are attainable. We're four games behind the current six-seeded Nets. That is a very realistic goal and expectation that I have for the newly led Quinn Snyder Hawks. Something else that I expect. I expect Quinn Snyder to get the players invested on the defensive end. We're 21st in in defensive efficiency. Last year, we finished the regular season with the defensive rating of 114.9, which was the worst of the 20 teams that qualified for the play-in and the playoffs. Out of 20 teams that qualified for the playing game and the playoffs, which had the lights of the Charlotte Hornets in it, led by LaMelo Ball, who was notorious for not playing defense, we, the Atlanta Hawks, had the worst defensive rating of 114.9 out of any of those teams that qualified. Guess what our defensive rating is this year so far? 114.4. So we're still in that same defensive deficiency that we were in last year. Yes, we have a superstar player who is kind of a traffic cone on defense. And due to his size, he's probably never going to be a even an average defender. 
I was going to say high tier, high class defender, but he's probably never going to even be an average defender in Trey Young. But we have DeJounte Murray, who was a versatile long guard. He's like 6'5". He's able to, 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 to stick with some stronger players on the uh, opposing end. He can stick good D. DeAndre Hunter, who is also a long and versatile wing. He prides himself on defense. He takes the challenge of guarding the opposing team's best player. Clint Capella, who is a rim presence. Onyeka Okongwu, who is growing as a defensive leader. We have the pieces to become up to be a better team defensively, but we're going to need everyone to be invested on that end of the court every game for all 48 minutes. I don't want to be like the Mavericks, where Jason Kidd said it himself, that we're that that they're there to outscore the opposing team. I don't want to be that team. That's not basketball. I want to be the team that is good at both. It's possible. And at the very least, we're not going to be good. And good is at least top 10 in defensive rating or defensive efficiency. If we're not going to be a top 10 team in that department, then we need to. I need to see at least effort. I need to see effort from Trey Young. That's all I need to see. Effort on the defensive end. I know that your size and your stature and just the way that you're built is probably not going to be the best for defense. But I need to see effort. I need to see everyone invested at all times. And I believe Quinn Snyder could get that out of his team. Also, you know, I also expect him to get everyone involved on the offensive. Or get everyone involved in the offense. Let's not just have this be Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. Everybody else keep up. Let this not be Trey Young and DeJounte Murray pick and roll, alley-oops. Everybody else keep up. Let's get DeAndre Hunter some touches. There's no reason why he shouldn't be a fringe 20-point-per-game scorer. It's not like he doesn't have the, the talent. He does. He has the scoring prowess. He has a shot. We just got to get him going more. And the more we get him going, the more he has the ball in his hands, the more likely it is that he will become more um, um, inclined to improve his scoring as well as his numbers will go up. His efficiency will go up. Call more plays for your three-point shooters and Bogdan Bogdanovich, A.J. Griffin, and Sadiq Bay. I don't care if it's something as simple as a floppy play. Let's get these shooters involved. I would hope to see Trey Young develop more off-ball ability. That's the next step in his game. It's his ability. No, I guess as a be be uh keep growing as a leader in the locker room and for his team, but also on the court itself, become better off the ball. He's quick, he's small, he's quick, and he's agile. He can get lost going around, or he can lose his defenders going around screens. He can lose his defenders by constantly moving. 
Guess who that sounds like? Stephen Curry. I'm gonna keep on doing it. Trey Young. There's no reason why Trey Young shouldn't reach the same caliber of player, not shooter, but player as Stephen Curry. In just the way that they that 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 the that they play the game. They're both. They were. Well, Stephen Curry used to be slight. Now he's gotten a little built, but they're both slight. In their frame. And Curry is just a wizard at constantly moving. That is very annoying to play against. And speaking of defense from the, in my previous point, even Curry, who was all who was never regarded as a star defender, every time he's on the court, he's invested on defense. He puts in effort. His defense is now underrated. So those are my expectations for Quinn Snyder and the Hawks for the rest of this year. I don't expect us to make it very far in the playoffs, but I do expect us to have a solidified playoff spot. So this was a great signing for the Hawks. I'm glad that they made it over the other candidates. The most important thing is for Quinn Snyder to foster a relationship with his players, especially Trey Young, as he is the de facto number one, the de facto superstar of our team. And just have everyone be invested in winning, night after night, finishing strong, playing defense. Everyone touches the ball. If those things can happen, plus some offseason moves to improve just the the personnel, the Hawks has a bright future ahead of them. Quinn Snyder's locked up for five years. I expect multiple playoff runs during that picture. We're gonna stay on the we're gonna stay on the topic of the NBA though. We have had a lot of scoring explosions as of late. A lot of scoring explosions. The biggest of which being Damian Lillard dropping 71 points in a win against the Rockets a couple of days ago. This happened a little over a month later after Donovan Mitchell scored 71 points in a come-from-behind win versus the Bulls on January 2nd. So in a span of about one and a half months, we have had two 71-point performances which is the first time in league history that multiple players have scored 70-plus points in a game in a single season. And after Damian Lillard's performance, he is now in an exclusive club of seven other players that scored 70-plus points in a game. And not only that, but it was 71 points or 57, 59, and 100 splits. And by the way, he made 13 threes in that game as well. One away from uh, tying the NBA record of 14 held by Clay Thompson, I believe. Fifty-seven, fifty-nine, and a hundred splits. That is very impressive. Making 13 threes on a 59% clip is incredible. And like I said, he did it against the Houston Rockets. And the Rockets, I saw this interesting anecdote on Twitter. The Rockets just be getting abused and passed around by the NBA stars. 
Dame dropped 71 on them. Luka dropped 50 on them. Laurie Markinen dropped 49. John Morant with 49. LeBron scored 48. Giannis scored 44. Anthony Edwards scored 44. Trey dropped 44 points. Shea Gilgis uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander dropped 42 points on them. Klay Thompson dropped 42 and then 41 points on them as well. One of those games came very recently. Devin Booker dropped 41. And Tyler Hero even dropped 41 points on the Rockets. The Rockets suck. They are trash. They, they, they are the definition of coasting through an NBA season is. The Spurs have lost like 21 of their last 22 games, and they are still seated higher than the Rockets. That's how bad it is. That's how bad they are. But at least NBA fans can go to a game for cheap and see their favorite superstars drop buckets. Look, I don't think we play them again, but if the Rockets were in town going against my Hawks, I would pay to go see it because that's look. Trey Young is is, is is likely to drop fifty on him. He already did forty four against them once. So if I were any NBA fans out there listening, if there is a chance to go to a Houston Rockets game for for cheap because we know it is because they suck. I went on Ticketmaster and they got tickets in there for about ten dollars. If there is a chance to go to a Houston Rockets game near you, please do. Especially if it's against a, a team with a superstar on it. You might see a historic performance like the <laughs> like the Trailblazer fans saw with Damian Lillard's 71 points. And I can't believe I have to say this. But Dame dropping 71 points in an NBA game is incredible no matter who it's against. I've seen people talking about some it's some empty stats. He has no he has no uh Nothing, no no championships, no playoff success. 71 points against the abysmal Houston Rockets is empty stats. Fool, 71 points is incredible regardless of who it's against, regardless of his playoff success, regardless of all of that. Eight people have scored 70-plus points in a game. Eight people in NBA history. Legends haven't even done that. There are NBA legends that are that have multiple championships that has never done that. Tim Duncan, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. These folks have never dropped 70 plus points in a game. Damian Lillard has surpassed them in that category. So 71 points is impressive regardless of who it is, and I can't believe I have to say that for the idiots that think that just because it came in a regular season game against the Rockets, that it doesn't matter. You're an idiot if you think that. But I am praying to the NBA gods to free Damian Dame Dollar Lillard from whatever spell Portland has him under. I am praying that the Trailblazers do what's best for them and Damian Lillard and forcibly trade him somewhere. Forcibly let him sign with another team. 
free him from the clutches and the chains that Portland has him in. Because the Trailblazers aren't doing anything anytime soon. They have pieces. Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart. They have nice players. But that is not a team that will be winning anytime soon. And if we look at the timeline of Damian Lillard's career, and we look at the 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 time that he has left in his career, I'm not saying that there is a decline in play because they are, obviously there isn't. If he drops 71 points and he's averaging 32 points on a year. But he's 32 years old and he's only getting older. I say he has another three, four, five years of peak performance before a drop-off is very evident. I hope that the Blazers do what's best for him and really what's best for the Blazers, period, and just move on. Trade him while he is still at the top of his game. It's going to suck. It's going to suck. As a Trailblazers fan, is going to suck for the front office, and I'm sure Damon Lillard will hate it. But there is a way that both sides can come out happy. <laughs> Let Damian Lillard have a say-so in where he wants to go. Tell him that we're going to trade you this offseason. We're going to trade you before the trade. We're going to do something with you. Is there any preferred destination is there anywhere that you like to go? Is there any place that interests you the most? And we will see what we can do. We'll see if we can recoup or we can get a trade package that benefits us just as much as it benefits you. We're going to look out for you. We're not just going to trade you behind your back. We're not just going to let you go. Or when I say let you go, Meaning we're not just going to send you to the wizard somewhere for some a bunch of draft picks and a, you know we're not going to do that to you. We're going to try to put you in the best situation possible. Show him the respect that he's always giving you when he said that he wants to stay and he's always signed contract extensions and he's played his hardest for y'all every night. There is a way that we can make this happen. Get him off of the Blazers. I don't want to see him retire without having a serious. Push for a championship. And I say serious because, yeah, he made the Western Conference Finals in 2019 with C.J. McCollum as his co-star. But come on now. We were watching that series, and we just knew what was going to happen. The Warriors were going to run him out the gym, which they did. But 71 points, that's impressive. We've seen that twice in one year now. So I, I'm going to expect another player to, you know what I'm saying, have to uh, have to do him one better and score 72-plus points in a single season. I'm here for it. I definitely see it happening. Speaking of which, I wonder what is more likely for an NBA player to score 100 points in a game or surpassing or at least tying Wilt Chamberlain's record that has withstood the test of time? Or an NBA game reaching 200-plus points? 
I wonder which one is more likely to happen. Because when was it? Let me get you the exact date. Because just on Friday, February 24th, the Clippers versus Kings became the second highest scoring game in NBA history. It took two overtimes, but the Sacramento Kings beat the Los Angeles Clippers 176 to 175. 176 to 175. I think through the middle of the third quarter, the score was already like 111 to 100 and something else. It was already like in ridiculous triple digits by then. Now, the highest scoring game in NBA history was between the Detroit Pistons and the Denver Nuggets in 1983. The Pistons beat the Denver Nuggets 186 to 184. And that just made me start thinking. A lot of NBA think, a lot, a lot of NBA fans think, what is more likely to happen? Which one? A two hundred plus, two hundred plus point game and a two hundred plus point scoring game, or an individual performance of a hundred plus points? I think we'll see the hundred plus points more or first. And it's crazy that that record has stood longer than what, than uh, Kareem's all-time scoring record has stood. 100-plus points in one game compared to 38,000 points over the course of an entire career? That's kind of crazy. Especially with the amount of scoring prowess that we've had in the league since Wilt Chamberlain has done so. Michael Jordan and Larry Bird... Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry. And we've never had a 100-plus point performance. But in that Clippers versus Kings game, very entertaining to watch. Yeah, there was more defense in that game than the All-Star game. But in the end, they both scored damn near just as many points as each other. Malik Monk versus Kawhi Leonard had a hardwood classic performance. Malik Monk dropped 45 points on 62, 50, and 90 splits. Kawhi Leonard dropped 44, 4, and 4 on 72, 66, and 100 splits. And by the way, Kawhi Leonard played 46 minutes in that game. And then went on to play uh, in the next game, I think, how many? 33-plus minutes in their next game against the Nuggets less than 48 hours later, which also went to overtime. And the Clippers lost both, by the way. That was very uh, – that was a great sight to see. I, I always liked Kawhi Leonard as a player. And with all the injuries that he has battled over the last few seasons – Really, ever since he uh, messed up his ankle in 2017 when Zaza Pachulia stepped under him. He's battled a lot of injuries, but it's, all, it's great to see him playing heavy minutes again. It's great to see him not be on a minutes restriction or not say, oh, man, he can't play back-to-back games or he can't play 
uh, consecutive games of 30-plus more minutes. That's great to see. De'Aaron Fox, it's time to put real respect on his name. Real respect. He made an all-star team this year, but we need to start talking about him making an all-NBA team. He dropped a cool 45-5-12 with five steals to boot in that Clippers versus Kings game. And he has averaged 32 points, 7.2 assists, and two steals per game during the entire month of February and has a current streak of scoring 30-plus points on 50% or better shooting in six consecutive games. I believe only eight players have had such scoring streaks in NBA history. That's elite company. Because he's getting these dubs, he's getting these points, he's winning games. I believe in their last 10, they are 7 and 3 or 6 and 4, I can't remember. But they're third in the Western Conference. And this entire Sacramento Kings team has just been transformed. De'Aaron Fox is a legitimate superstar. He has finally broken into that mold of elite point guard. And then when you surround him with the talent that he's surrounded with, DeMontis Sabonis, who also made an all-star team, Malik Monk, who is just a bucket getter, Kevin Huerter, who I wish the Hawks would have kept, Davion Mitchell, who is a defensive lockdown specialist. Keegan Murray, their, dra- their latest draft pick, who has shown great promise. Harrison Barnes, who is the veteran of that team. Coached by Mike Brown, who has had a career resurgence, who is in contention for coach of the year. I like the Kings. They are one of the more entertaining and better teams in the league. It's going to be very interesting to see what they can do in a playoff setting. Clay Thompson also has been on something for the last couple of games. For the last couple of months, really. He just dropped 42 points in 12 three-pointers. Let me say that one more time because in case y'all didn't hear me. He just dropped 42 points in 12 three-pointers on the Houston Rockets' head. Because, of course, he did. Last Friday... They scored another 32 in a win against the Timberwolves. He's always been regarded as the Robin to Stephen Curry's Batman. And rightfully so. But in Stephen Curry's absence, due to injury, Clay has stepped up as a vocal leader and number one scorer for the Warriors. Over the last 20 games, Clay has averaged 27 points and has shot 45% from deep on 12 three-point attempts a game. 12. 45% scoring from the three from beyond the three-point line on 12 plus attempts per game. That is impressive. I think he is a couple of three-pointers away from surpassing Paul Pierce on the all-time three-point made list. Historic. One of the greatest shooters of all time. This is the best he's looked 
since he tore his ACL in the 2019 NBA Finals against the Raptors. Folks were calling him washed up. Charles Barkley was saying his best days are behind him. He's not going to be able to reach that two-way stardom that he had before he got injured, where he would be the, the number two scoring option for the Warriors, a certified bucket getter, plus a great, de- uh, uh, a great defender on the other end. Klay Thompson is back, folks, and he's arguably better than ever because he's now in a situation where he's going to have to shoot. He's going to have to go out and get his shot off. He's going to have to go out and be the number one scorer for his team. And he's done so over the last two months. The averages are there. And I love to see it. Klay Thompson has always been a fun player to watch. He's always been a player to root for. I thoroughly enjoy seeing him play. With Stephen Curry and Draymond Green out, he's the only reason I watch the Warriors games. Until they come back, of course. So that's I love seeing it. Klay Thompson has been on something these last two months, and I want him to continue to play this way. He will continue to play this way. And when Stephen Curry gets uh, incorporated back into the fold when he um, re not rehabs when he recovers from his injury, when Draymond Green comes back, if they can stay healthy, when Andrew Wiggins comes back from his personal leave of absence. The Warriors are still here. Please don't forget that. I don't want people to think that the Warriors have fallen off. They haven't. They have just been unhealthy, and they were unable to win road games earlier in the year. But if everybody comes back healthy, if everybody is clicking, they're back. Because guess what? They won an NBA championship last year with Klay Thompson not playing at this level. They won a title last year with Klay Thompson with with. Klay Thompson just coming back from his injuries when he tore his ACL and then injured his Achilles. I believe it was his Achilles. I knew I know he tore his ACL in 2019 and then he injured something else during his rehab, which kept him out for a whole nother season. So if this level of play for Klay Thompson remains so in the and, and the Golden State Warriors remain healthy. Please put them in the title picture. Don't count them out. I won't personally. Because I've already done that before. And I've seen what they do when they're the underdogs. When they're not expected to do anything like they did last year. Moving on to the final segment of the show. UFC 285 is this weekend, and it will be headlined by the returning John Bones Jones. It's the most anticipated fight of the UFC calendar thus far. John Jones versus Cyril Gaon for the vacant UFC heavyweight championship. It is John Jones' first fight in over 1,120 days. That's three plus years. And it will also be his debut bout as a heavyweight. This bout will be the, uh, the beginning of a new chapter in the heavyweight division as it is the first title fight 
since Francis Ngannou and the UFC parted ways and the belt was vacated. John Jones, who has long dominated the 205 light heavyweight division, is now embarking on capturing heavyweight gold because, in his own words, he no longer feared anyone in the light heavyweight division. He was looking for a healthy fear. Or he believed that having fear is healthy. He was looking for that feeling. And in his own words, he said that he just did not feel that way in the light heavyweight division. He didn't feel that way with anybody who was that he was fighting during those last couple of fights. He was going against Anthony Smith and Dominic Reyes and Tiago Santos, who gave him problems at times, but he said that the pay just wasn't it wasn't the best due to the lack of star power on the other end of the cage on the other side of the cage rather and that he just knew that he was better than them so you know he just didn't fear as much he didn't put as much dedication into his training he didn't put as much effort into preparing for his fights watching film like he used to when he was going against straight up killers like Rashad Evans, like Rampage Jackson, like Leota Machida, like Daniel Cormier. This is going to be a great fight, though. I'm excited, and it's not going to be just a walk in the park. I believe that there was a graphic out there that said 88% of all bettors for UFC 285 bet on John Jones. 88, that's a large percentage. Everybody expects John Jones to win, and so do I. But it's not going to be no cakewalk. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not some. It's not like how we expect him to walk through the light heavyweight division like he was that like he has historically done. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Casero Gan is a very intriguing matchup. He's a crafty, ooh, excuse me, I don't know what that was. He's a crafty and technical striker who likes to pick his shots similar to how John Jones likes to fight. Gone is scarily agile for his size and, of course, has that heavyweight power to complement his athleticism. He knocked out Ty Tuivasa in his last fight. His only glaring flaw is his wrestling slash grappling, which was exposed in his championship fight against Francis Ngannou a year ago. Now, I'm 100% certain that wrestling was a focal point of this fight camp for Cyril Gan because John Jones being a, a, a well-renowned wrestler, a top-tier grappler, Something that this the, the, the wrestling comes natural to him no matter what weight class. I know that that was a very, 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 or it is a focal point of Sirogan's fight camp. Because if push comes to shove, John Jones always has that to rely on. He's not going to force it, but he always has that to rely on. We've seen it in previous fights with him. 
He will push you up against the cage. He will take you down. And he will work his jujitsu. And he will just stay on top of you. Because he is a master at manipulating his weight to keep you down. If Francis Ngannou was able to do it with a, with a, you know, not even a quarter of the experience and the prowess that John Jones has on the mat, just imagine how it is if John Jones is able to get Cyril Gan to the floor. Now I do choose John Jones to win. I believe it's going to go to a decision. Because John Jones isn't some crazy finisher. He likes to just wear down his opponents. In his first fight against DC, it went to decision unanimously. In his fight against Alex, his first fight against Alexander Gustafson, went to a decision. In his first in his fight against Rashad, not Rashad Evans, in uh, against Rampage Jackson, went to a decision. Against Dominic Reyes recently went to a decision. Anthony Smith went to a decision. Tiago Santos went to a decision. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way John Jones fights. He will rather pick you apart and beat you up for 15 minutes. I'm sorry, not 15 minutes, 25 minutes. Then go out and search for a knockout. If the opportunity comes, best believe he's going to capitalize. But John Jones, he just breaks you down mentally and physically. So that's what I'm going to be expecting to do. I don't believe that this is going to be a brawl like other heavyweight bouts may have been, or not even may have been, that other heavyweight bouts has tend to be. It's, not, it's going to look nothing like Cyril Gaon versus Tai Tuivasa. Nothing like that. John Jones is not even going to be in a predicament or a situation where he's going to have to, you know, fake like he got rocked or got hurt to counter. He's going to stay moving. He's going to stay on the outside of the cage. He's going to work at Siragaz's legs. You want to see a lot of oblique kicks. You want to see a lot of uh, um, inside kicks. A lot of switch stance from John Jones. He's going to pop that jab out there with that 84-inch uh, reach. He's going to work the body a lot. He's going to work, I'm going to expect to see a lot of knees. But like I said, Siragaz is a technical striker as well, so it's not just going to be some... He's going to just pick him apart the whole time. Cyril Gaon's going to be checking those kicks. He's going to be moving around as well. He's going to be pressing the pace forward. Maybe not forward, so, uh, uh, maybe not directly down the line, walking John Jones down because that is just a recipe for disaster. He's going to stay in front of him. John Jones is going to work the outside, but Cyril Gaon is going to stay right in front of him and keep him there. At least for the beginning rounds. It's going to be fun. I'm so excited. I believe it's going to be John Jones by unanimous decision. But regardless, it's going, well, I'm not even going to say regardless, because if John Jones gets beat, that is just going to be super surprising. It's going to be just as surprising as Kamaru Usman getting knocked out like he did last year. So I'm not going to say regardless of decision because the decision definitely matters in this context. But it's going to be 
fun watching John Jones have a new challenge. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun seeing how he is back in the octagon after having three plus years off, not in the fight. He didn't fight in outside organizations. He didn't have any tune-up fights. He went from a three-year layoff right into a heavyweight championship fight. This is a weight class he's never uh, competed in. And now I'm not going to. I'm not doubting him. I'm not thinking that this is something crazy hard for him to do because we've seen fighters go, or not go. We've seen fighters go from light heavyweight to heavyweight and have success. Like Daniel Cormier, he's the biggest example. And Daniel Cormier is undersized. Or that division, as far as his height goes, as far as his reach goes, and he still be had massive success in that division. So, I still believe, or I believe, period, that John Jones can get that same success as well. But it's going to be very different for him. It's going to be a different experience. Like he said, he fears, or he has a fear going into this fight. Against Cyril Gunn. And not because he's scared of Cyril Gunn or anything. Just because this is a whole new experience. The stakes are higher. The risk is higher. This is an unfamiliar environment. And I say unfamiliar because a three-plus year layoff, of course. And also because he's going up in weight. So... I'm very excited for this fight. It's going to be this weekend. We also have Alex Van... Uh, I'm sorry. What am I talking about? I'm thinking about USC 284. We also have Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grasso for the Women's Flyweight Championship, which is a co-main event. This is going to have very big implications for the next title fight, regardless of who... Well, if, if Valentina Shevchenko wins, which I believe she is. She's one of the greatest female fighters to ever enter the UFC, ever compete in mixed martial arts. Because if Valentina Shevchenko wins, which I believe she will, Aaron Blanchfield is most likely going to be up next for a title, a title shot. And that is what I'm so excited for. That's why I'm rooting for Valentina Shevchenko. I am ready to see her versus Aaron Blanchfield. So I'm thinking far ahead when it comes to that fight, which is cool to do because, like I said, you know, Valentina Shevchenko is just that great of a athlete. She's that great of a fighter. So, this is going to be a great card. I'm excited. It's a Saturday. So, I'm 100% going to be watching that full card because I'm going to be at work. So, at work, after I finish up what I got to do, guess what I'm going to be doing while I'm working? Watching the entire fight card from the early prelims all the way down to the main event. Next week, we're going to bring it to y'all. I'm going to break down the card as well as the Hawks' first games with Quinn Snyder as coach. Hopefully, he coaches tonight against the Wizards. And I'm going to wrap this episode up, man. I have fun making this one. I have fun talking about the Hawks. The Hawks are the number one team that I watch, so everything related to them. I'm just so passionate about talking about them. So that's why that first segment of the show was so much longer than others. Because, you know, I'm just that invested in this team. So tell me what you think about the Quinn Snyder hiring. Tell me what you think about the scoring implosions that we have had over the last few weeks, over the last few months of the NBA. What do y'all think? Which one we're going to see first? 
an individual player score 100 plus points in a game or two teams or a single NBA team score 200 plus points in a game what y'all gonna think is gonna happen first let me know hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at the number two t-o-n-e underscore 69 that is two-tone underscore 69 both Instagram and Twitter you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, everything that you may have even considered to watch a podcast on, Hear Me Roar is available on. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you want me to talk about next week, and I will catch y'all in the next episode. See you.